Well, I mean, if you don't say good night to natives, them, they think you're rude. But I feel oh. so uncomfortable just walking down the hall saying good night. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. Like, that's just weird. Yeah. You're like, like <laughs> if I say good night, I'm going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's how they talk over there. Well, that's good to know. That is mm-hmm. very, yeah. You live yeah. in St. Thomas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Oh, by the way, Mickey's here. Yeah. Hi. Thank you, Mickey. <laughs> we uh, had an episode with her husband. Uh, that so we now we're doing a girls only. This. So okay. now we're doing a girls, right. a little episode. girls episode. Research topic. Research topic. Yes. Laura has done yet again. So shall <laughs> we get started? Me and Mickey don't really know what this is about, right. but we do know that there's topics that we are both heavily interested in. So mm-hmm. let's do it. Okay. So picture it. Picture it. Edinburgh, the 1820s. Okay. The field of anatomy was developing, and British medical schools needed corpses to dissect. Mm. Because most people believe that dissection damned a dead person's soul, cadavers were in scarce supply. Okay. For a while, anatomists used the bodies of executed criminals, but this source also dried up after a parliamentary act reduced mandatory death penalties. Mm. So, less people being killed for their crimes, Mm -hmm. so less bodies. So scarce were cadavers that a thriving trade in illicit bodies emerged. Mm. Grave robbers or resurrection men would dig up recently buried bodies in the dead of night and sell them to doctors willing to look the other way. The history of Edinburgh and the history of body snatching go hand in hand. Residents of the city became so concerned about ending up in the anatomist table on the anatomist table rather than lying in eternal rest that they invested in elaborate cage-like tombs called mort safes. Mort safes consisted of an iron framework that protected the grave and prevented a body from being dug up. (laughs) A mort safe would sit atop the grave until decomposing rendered the body useless to medical professionals and then could be moved to a new grave. And I remember seeing these when we were in Edinburgh. Oh, really? And how I thought, why are they all of these so enclosed? It wasn't a lot of them, but it was interesting. Several adaptations of the mort safe were created, but the ultimate goal was the same. So the cage layer consisted of iron bars over a stone foundation. Jeff Holder, author of Scottish Body Snatchers, explains that cage layers were, quote-unquote, roofs of cast iron bars sunk into solid stone walls around layers or burial plots. In some cases, an entire cage, like an animal cage, was constructed. And this is very common in Edinburgh. And that's what I remember seeing a lot of in, like, Greyfriars Kirk. It just looked like... There should be a lion in there, and not really sure. Did you know why? Yeah, no, I didn't at oh. the time, okay. but I remember seeing the rows of them, and now it makes huh. more sense. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, let's fucking go. Let's see if it makes more sense. <laughs> Number two, Mort stones were stone blocks laid over a coffin. And three, Mort houses stored strongholds where coffins were kept until enough time had passed for the body to decay beyond use. Ugh. Yeah. That's gross. So. Anyway, what was your question, Mickey? When we were- I'm just a little lost. Like, I don't know. Just to explain it. A little better. (laughs) (laughs) Like what the Mort safes are for? Yeah. So. No, I get what they're for, but I don't understand how they're. Like made? Yes. Or no, like how they work. So it's basically a cage made of iron set over the grave so that people can't dig up the bodies. And they're just sat there for like a couple days or. Or for, yeah, for a period of time long enough for them to decay and then they would move them to a new burial place and sometimes they just use big stones just something big enough and heavy something enough heavy that yeah can't move right it's like the equivalent yeah. to like a holding cell and before you go to like yeah jail but the people <laughs> that were really in that could afford it had what was called a cage layer that literally like you've been to a zoo it looked like a zoo stall and then the the grave is inside that locks and everything so people couldn't get in there and dig up the bodies mm. so yeah is that is that a little more clear okay yeah yeah all right um the main thing all of these designs had in common was their weight making the exhumation virtually impossible there are several intact examples around scotland the most famous ones at greyfriars greyfriars kirkyard in addition to these protected graves concerned mourners created watch groups dedicated to monitoring the wow. comings and goings in local churchyards so literally like neighboring is fuck. neighborhood watch <laughs> for the cemetery for the cemetery to keep bodies from being stolen <laughs> that's an easy job I'm sorry. yeah but this this is probably why edinburgh is one of the like huxes of medical technology oh, okay. because they were one of the first to really hmm. get in there to the bodies yeah that's interesting. there's actually a, a Medi- a famous medical museum in Edinburgh that's got a bunch of the original tools and things really? like that. Yeah. Hmm. Body snatching in general did not sound like an altogether fun occupation. <laughs> Although good money could be made, the risks were enormous. Author Holder explains how much discomfort and danger you would have to deal with if you were a 19th century body snatcher. Imagine you, and this is the quote, imagine you are in a lonely Scottish churchyard on a dark moonless night. By the light of a shaded lantern, you and your companions dig into a fresh grave, carefully depositing the earth on a spread-out sheet. The author goes on to describe that the act of grave robbing was the hardest physical labor imaginable, with a grim prize waiting at the end. Mm. If the funeral had been recent and the winter cold, there will be little smell. But if conditions are the opposite, you are hit full in the face with the reek of putrefaction. You'll probably vomit, Holder writes. After removing the corpses from its after removing the corpse from its grave, the resurrectionists would transfer it to a horse-drawn carriage and make their escape, desperately hoping to avoid an altercation with the law or any vigilante locals. Fair. <laughs> so they're like going through all this, they're fighting mort safes, they're fighting the cemetery watch groups. And this is 18 what? 1820 in the 1820s. They had banks, just go this fucking rob a bank. <laughs> like really? it's so much easier. <laughs> Okay. Just as high risk. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a little bit about anatomists in the afterlife. At this time, the fear of body snatchers was combined with the fear of anatomists themselves. Religious beliefs undoubtedly influenced the public's view of human dissection. So they didn't mm-hmm. believe in having themselves cut open. The prevailing Christian belief was that the bodies of the dead would be resurrected from their tombs on the day of judgment. 
If a body had, however, been cut up or on the dissecting table, the individual's chance of eternal bliss was, in popular thought, somewhat compromised. On a more basic level, there was, and remains to this day, a widespread revulsion at the idea of desecrating the dead, especially the quote-unquote meaningful dead, family members, and so on. In spite of religious beliefs, anatomists had to get their dead bodies somehow. To qualify as a doctor, a medical student had to dissect a body, but the only bodies legally available were of hanged murderers. Even in an exceptionally murderous year, this amounted to a mere handful of cadavers, and there were 500 medical students in Edinburgh alone, so a little bit of a conundrum Mm -hmm. there as far as trying to become a doctor. Did you... Do I... I just feel like it's 1820. You just be like, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I dissected all these fucking people. <laughs> and I here's what I found. It's wild. Yeah. So am I a doctor now? Cool. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Sounds good. Like, what fucking proof are you going to have? <laughs> I mean, I know where the heart is. Yeah. Did you dissect one? It's all the same. Like, <laughs> for the most part. I used to dissect sheep. I mean, there are sheep in bounty. There you go. So just fucking give it, give it your best shot. It's like DSAT. Guess. Due to the shortage of legally available bodies, many turned to body snatching to make up the numbers. The first grave-digging body snatchers were the medical students and their professors. As the trade increased... Is that where house... Gets <laughs> yeah, like, right? I love that. Because I was like, this is such bullshit. Like, is maybe in a medical Scottish? professor, I'm like, yeah. why are they digging bodies up? It's funny. I love yeah. that show. There you go. Fuck, man. I'm also... Never mind. What? Nothing. <laughs> oh god it must be bad if you're not going to say it i mean do you have like this deep earning to like dig up dead bodies Casey? not at all okay that's i hate all things dead not at all it's just no. no all right good it's a good joke i'll save it for later right, I'll I'll just friend. keep listening guys <laughs> you're still my friend <laughs> As the trade increased and became more organized and more profitable, criminal gangs took over the procedure. So, you know. The most famous <laughs> body snatchers of the time, William Burke and William Hare. Hare. <laughs> Stuck in my mouth. So, we're talking about body snatching and deconvention. You're like, ew, hair. Well, because I know it's probably not spelled like H-A-I-R. No. But I'm just thinking of like hair, decomposing bodies and their hair. We've talked about that how stays there. pubic stay, mm-hmm. pubic hair stays. It grows. Yeah, yeah. You better get that shit lasered off before you die if you don't want your pubes growing a mile. It'll still grow. <laughs> Sorry, coarse and curly. Okay, so what I was skeleton. gonna say, okay, was can you imagine looking up, doing an ancestry DNA test, and it coming back and being like, you come from a long line of body snatchers. <laughs> <laughs> you're either that person that's like that's fucking cool that's badass or you're like i fucking hate myself (laughs) (laughs) we can't procreate like my grandpa my great 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 grandpa twice removed mr hair (laughs) was a professional body snatcher like look i didn't have it near as bad as i thought i was gonna have it apparently (laughs) or i could have had it Good or, uh, okay, so what if you were like you find out you were one of the bodies that was snatched? Oh, you're related <laughs> to one of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh well, would yeah. Is that not have. as funny? <laughs> no, well, that's just some deep thought. Yeah, I was. That makes me. William Hare immigrated from Northern Ireland to the UK and worked alongside other Irish immigrants on the Union Canal before moving to Edinburgh, where he ran a lodging house. William Burke was born in Ernie County, Tyrone. 
1792 and moved to Scotland around 1815. He also found work as a Navy on the Union, Can- Union Canal, where it is suspected the two may have met for the first time. In late 1827, Burke took up residence at Hare's Lodging House on Tanner's Close on the west side of Edinburgh. William Hare would later testify that the episode began when together they sold the body of a deceased resident of the lodging house to Dr. Robert Knox in order, they said, to reclaim money owed by the deceased. Mm. So that's where it all began. They got a taste for the cash. If I promise, like, Sally Mae, that... um, (coughs) They can have my body when I die. Can yeah. we just call it even now? That's the best idea. <laughs> like, just can we just cancel it all out? Yeah. You can have my body. So the next time I have to call them, which is now Navient, yeah. The next time I have to call them, I'm like, here's a really weird proposal. <laughs> um, but just hear me out. Just okay? hear me out. Just hear me out. out. If you're not into it, just say no and delete this recording because <laughs> there might totally be some yes. legalities involved. <laughs> If so, blink twice. (laughs) (laughs) So, seeing an opportunity to make money, the pair took snatching to a whole new level when they realized it was much easier to find live people who could become dead bodies than trying to find already dead bodies. Ooh, and the fucking plot thickens. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, they had a perfect setup to find these future dead bodies at the lodging house. Murder. They first preyed upon tenants and then moved on to prostitutes and strangers on mm-hmm. the streets of Edinburgh. They developed a trademark method of suffocation, which would later become known as burking. Mm. The crimes were eventually detected when a body was found under the bed of William Burke. A bribe of 10 pounds per week was attempted to keep the witness quiet, but he refused. <laughs> William Hare was granted immunity in return for testifying against Burke, who was found guilty and executed in Edinburgh by hanging on January 28, 1829. He was then publicly dissected at Edinburgh Medical College and his skeletal remains and his skeleton remains on display at the college museum. How many people do you know? 17. Oh, 17. Did you say that? I'm sorry. I don't think that I did, but I do remember it was 17. Okay. Yeah. So he was actually dissected by the medical That's college. Hilarious. And his skeleton remains on display at the college museum. Oh my God. <laughs> that is poetic justice. That is. I don't know how I missed that when I, I mean, I guess I was just, anyway. I wish Keith Morrison was here to. And then. <laughs> and then. In a twist of fate, his body was displayed <laughs> at the college museum where remains to this day. But For, there was more. <laughs> Perhaps more gruesomely, a book was made from his skin and can be viewed to this day in the police museum. Wait, is Dahmer alive? (laughs) Really? Yeah. What the fuck? Not yet. They had to get it from somewhere. (laughs) But it's still um, on view at the police museum in the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Did you see it? No, I didn't see uh, that. No, I didn't go look for the skin book. I mean, that's fucking Dude, I would weird. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's like, that is a thing. I would have taken a selfie with it. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, Here's me with the skin book. The murderer's, like, murderer's skin book. Do they, like, put, like, Lubiderm on it every... <laughs> yeah, like, how hey. do they keep that? It's the same as, like, a leather jacket. Oh, uh, they, like, it's like a hide? Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's skin. They're both skin. So they, like, soak it? Oh, God. But, like... I mean, I'm sure they preserve it like everything else in D.C. 
<laughs> with what Mickey you seem like a professional whatever they do in the preservatory <laughs> I don't know but have you ever watched National Treasure Duh. <laughs> oh my god Hare fled to England and the last reported sighting of him was some years later in Carlisle Dr. Robert Knox was never prosecuted as it could not be proven that he knew the corpses he oh, bought god. were murder victims he died in London in 1862 after moving there to work at a cancer hospital. Hmm. The Burke and Hare murders or Westport murders became a catalyst for changes in, to the way cadavers were provided for medical st- science. I mean, let's hope so. The supply was increased via the new 1832 Anatomy Act to combat the trade in corpses across Edinburgh, Scotland, and Britain as a whole. And that's the story of the Edinburgh body snatchers. I'm curious to know if... Um there like was any sort of restitution for the family members i doubt it yeah <laughs> probably not no yeah <laughs> i'm yeah. especially if they were criminals cause yeah oh true back then they're like oh well yeah they yeah that was like a f- there was really that was their best fate at that point yeah <laughs> oh that's not what i mean <laughs> You know what I mean? But yeah. it could have been... Oh, no, never mind. I'm a quick... That's not Casey. That's me just back. chewing on my foot. Foot in mouth. All right, so question. Okay, yeah. After all of that was like subsided or whatever, so then basically it was just... Did people just start like donating their body or like how did that happen? I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, because medicine would not be what it is today Mm -hmm. without cadavers. Exactly. So, I mean, what these guys did was revolutionary. I mean, mean, it was. But in a way, it was wrong, but in a way, it was right too. Yeah. Because that's how, I mean, that's, like I said, Edinburgh remains a hub of medicine to this day and that's probably a big reason why because they had a jump start on other places i mean and there are a lot of things these days that started out a long time ago as just wrong like the way that they did it or the way that it was perceived whereas today it's like that's just the way of life maybe they increased uh they probably increased the number of people from morgues that were unclaimed like unclaimed Mm -hmm. bodies to because before it was just someone that they knew died of bad reasons or died as criminals because they were worried about cutting up the body and them not being able to go to heaven. And so they probably increased the number from unclaimed bodies would be my guess. Hmm. That's interesting though. um, Yeah, because you shouldn't murder people. Oh, ever. No. But I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, this this, like, it's a necessary advancement in medical research to have extra bodies to have <laughs> so more maybe bodies. burke and hair weren't right but no but like the, but what the people they that did read was that, yeah. perceived like eventually as okay this is how we are going to change medicine yeah yeah well, i mean yeah. it was the doctor that turned a blind eye to it because he said i'm just i don't know i don't know la la la, la because i need this in yeah. order to learn and grow exactly in order to save lives of, yep. yeah exactly yeah that's so interesting to think about it that way though right yeah i mean because without that without those bodies so god did, if it had started earlier how yeah. much farther along would we be today yeah you know if it had started 100 years before as a nurse did you ever have to dissect a body a cadaver 
Never a no. human body, no. Okay. But I have dissected a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any interest in, I mean, not like, oh, do you want to go dissect a body? But like, like have you been medical to the school, like doctor, or for doctors, like dissecting, it's probably not the most exciting thing, but would you be able to switch that mode from like human to professional oh, yeah. and just fucking do it and enjoy oh, it? Yeah. Did I'm you not going to say I'm going to enjoy it, but, but I would do it. Oh, and yeah. I guess enjoy like what you're like realizing that it you're would learning be interesting. From, yes, yeah. there you go. Yeah, be interested. It would be very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Have you seen the bodies exhibit when it's come mm. around? I haven't. I do yeah. remember that though, and I always thought I it was very interesting. It. But you know, anatomy and physiology is a class that we all have to take in the medical mm-hmm. field, and it is extremely interesting. Yes. What animal is closest to human when it comes to dissection? I have no idea. That's interesting. Because you, the, do the first thing that comes to my mind is a monkey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess so. I yeah. We could Google it real quick. But I don't know. Because you know, know somebody right. in their car driving to but work listening to this. I is guarantee you, answer. today we're not going to dissect a monkey and then try to fix a human on what we've mm-hmm. just dissected. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, like in 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 high school, I've dissected all kinds of animals, and then in college, I don't think I dissected anything. Really? No. Didn't have to. Not even human anatomy and physiology. No, really? that's only for the doctors. Because I, I took it and I had to dissect. Uh, they sent me a cat in the mail that I had to dissect. I did that myself. in high school. Yeah. A cat, okay. a shark, a worm. Oh, a shark. That would be cool. Do you guys know that a worm has four hearts? Yeah. Four. Some tiny ass hearts. Yep. Did wow. you have to dissect anything in high school? Okay. Yeah, but <laughs> I was vegetarian at the time. I still remember my cat. My yeah. notebook His name was, was Roger. My notebook was covered in PETA stickers. This is, I was very rebellious and I had opinions not you so I, <laughs> so I was like mm, no I'm sorry Miss Peterson and so I just wrote a paper and I didn't have to dissect the cat but I had to di- before I decided that that was the stand I was taking I had dissect the frog and a baby pig mm-hmm. which is interesting because I just googled which animal it's a pig do you dissect yeah that's closest to humans it says pigs uh, pigs have all the same thoracic and abdominal organs as humans. Yep. I know wow. a long time ago, like with alcoholics, they would, um, like if, basically if they were, like some of their organs were beyond use anymore because mm-hmm. of their alcoholism, they would take things from pigs and use them. And that was back, like Whoa. I would say our great grandfathers probably had that. Yeah. And they lived? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm not going to say they lived for a long time, but they, if you get like a kidney nowadays, yeah. it will last a longer time, like maybe 10 to 15 a, a years. A pig kidney? No, not, oh. not today. Oh. I'm saying back then when they did oh. use that, they don't do that They anymore. don't do anything with no. like... I mean, they would... Get the swine flu. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, Mickey, yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> She giggled and looked at me with such disappointment. Oh my god! And this is why I never went to medical school. What is the what is the disease you can get from pork? The something telenosis? You know what I'm talking about? No. Um, salmonella. <laughs> e. coli. Um, no. What is the pork disease? You got a fucking computer right in front of you, girl. Sorry. We we just gonna sound stupid. We don't have to let them know we're Googling. I feel stupid right now. I always feel stupid on this podcast. She'll be like rambling off some random fact, and I'm like, "Have okay. you seen Real Housewives lately?" <laughs> Trichinosis. That was it. You were pretty fucking 
Yeah. Close. Sorry, I just hiccuped. What is that? Trichinosis is caused by eating raw or undercooked pork and wild game infected with the larva of a parasitic worm. The contaminated meat is infected with the larva of a worm called Trichinella spiralis. The initial symptoms of trichinosis are abdominal discomfort. I mean, the same thing. Fucking food, food poisoning. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've all been there. <laughs> fucking cook your goddamn meat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for a second. There was something that they had something about trichinosis and sexually transmitted diseases. I was oh, like, I was what? Say, okay. No. When you first said trichinosis, yeah. what I know about it is that it is Tri- an STD. There's trichomyiasis, a sexually transmitted okay. disease. Because when so you there, said trick, like that. Yeah. Right. Trichomyiasis. Like, Wait, that sounds like an STD that I don't know anything about okay. that I might have. There's trichinosis and trichomonas. <laughs> you have all so, the symptoms. Do I? Oh, fuck. I'm you a straight bitch. up have trichomonas I'm- vaginalysis parasite. <laughs> Whoa, it is a parasite. Is that, wait, is, read, please read about that and tell me are, are if the that is the one that you diagnose with the whiff test. Trichinosis is not. I've normal. heard about that. The like whiff. if it smells bad. You smell it. Oh, God. It's called the whiff test. Oh, so there's a doctor uh, that smells it? No. Anybody who does it. Like I could smell it. It'd be like <laughs> whiff test. That's what it's called. Is it is weird if I'm like, hey, Mickey. It's, no, I know it's strange yeah, text. Can I come me. over and don't ask ever you? Ever ask me to do it? She's like, fall downstairs, text me like, about we your are legs. friends, but I am <laughs> not whiffing it. If you if you want to go, no. If you need to go to the emergency room because you're coughing up blood, I'll help you. Yeah, but do not ask me to smell your vagina. Yeah, I am not. <laughs> not <laughs> I, will never I draw be the line of smelling your vagina, <laughs> or that good of a nurse. No, <laughs> I, I have my limits. Okay, <laughs> everyone does in their profession. That's what I hear. I there will not do mouth to mouth on anybody. Sorry. That's okay. You will die. Oh, fuck. If I, if I pull up Shit, on I a car wreck and you need like CPR, I will pump the hell out of your chest, but I will not give you mouth to mouth. God, Sorry. I hope Scott's around if, it, if I ever need I it. I will act like I'm not a nurse. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. If, if this bitch is on a plane, they're like, we need a hell. We need a nurse. We need a like She's like. Damn, that'd be cool if oh, there was a nurse my here. Next page is the book I'm reading. I don't know. I don't know you wouldn't give CPR to Layla. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know a you kid, would. I would do it. So a whiff test is performed by adding several drops of 10% potassium hydroxide to a sample of vaginal discharge. A strong fishy odor is indicative of a positive test result, such as may. Such as trichomoniasis or bacterial vaginosis. I knew that word was familiar when you said that. So, like, like microbiologists smell? No. If you go and have... Okay. So, I, this is where I remember this. In nursing school, when I was at the health department, mm-hmm. following a nurse practitioner, just learning about shit. And then the next thing I know, she's, like, doing a pap smear on this girl. And then we go in another room, and she's, like, putting it on a slide. And she's, like do you know about the whiff test? Mm. And I'm like, um, I mean, I think I read it in a sentence in a book. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, so basically all I do is I put this here and I drop this there and then I just do my hand like this. And that's where the word whiff comes from. Seriously, like you whiff you it take into whiff. your oh. nose to smell and see if these people have this odor. And supposedly that tells you whether or not they have trichomonas or not. No, oh my gosh. No thank Gross. You. Okay, so I checked health department off my list. <laughs> well, I can't work here. No thanks. 
I'm good. Oh, Moving good on. God, that makes me feel <laughs> so sick. Many pe- I have to just read this one sentence. Many people who have the infection have no symptoms, but when symptoms occur, they include vaginal or urethral in men discharge that may appear greenish and frothy that's just fucking gross dude frothy (laughs) the word frothy just got i will never we can froth down there i will never go to starbucks the same again (laughs) (laughs) steeping those swift peaks oh yeah just uh stir these bubbles up and and then whiff it and then just Okay, y'all, I hope someone out there is like, is that what it is? And I hope we're not making you feel bad. But also. Also. Just like. I'm so sorry if you have trope. If you're. Yeah. Okay. That's scary. No. But if your vagina is is frothing, frothing. it's not because you're turned on. It's not normal. (laughs) No. We're telling you right now, go to the doctor. Yeah. Please. And tell them do a whiff test. Well, I think it causes, because I've read about this on my like flow Mm -hmm. app where I track, like you can just read these blog posts about like, here's some uncommon STDs. And I was like, fuck, I thought I knew about all of them. I thought I was clear. What do I got? What do I might have? Oh, fucking trick and bonus. (laughs) But it's, it's like talking about this and it can cause like uterine cancer. Oh, Oh, maybe. In fact, my hairstylist, we were just talking about it. She was convinced her mom had it because her mom, when she got older, she was like, talk, she was like embarrassed and it's kind of sad, but her mom was like, I smell so bad down there and it's not normal. And she said it was to the point that like everyone could smell it. And it was like, she was telling her daughter like about her discharge and then she died like, but they did, she had uterine cancer and she just fucking died and she was promiscuous in her days and i mean also it was the promiscuous in the 60s 70s 80s like maybe not the 80s but 60s and 70s like no if they're not fucking checking for that on every fucking panel you know the yeah. uh, swab test or whatever then yeah. i'm sorry but if i'm down there and i'm doing a vaginal exam and an odor just whiffs in my nose <laughs> without me putting I'm drops i'm going to let somebody know <laughs> This is you need. The I other would help. tell you. <laughs> I would tell you. Um, honey, I just performed I'm a whiff test. Yeah. Unbeknownst well, she to wouldn't me go. She was so embarrassed of her smell. She wouldn't go to the oh, gynecologist. Oh, like she was like, "This is embarrassing." And you know, think about like she was born in the forties. She's yeah. like, "This Back is." Then, it's like you don't that is that. sad. Yeah, she doesn't want to talk about it, and she's just yeah. embarrassed. So she tells her daughter, and so yeah, I mean, God, and but because they don't fucking talk about it, they yeah. don't go to get help, or they're ashamed of how their doctor and mo- back then too most fucking gynecologists were men yeah. you know what i mean they had their stigmas and ideas about women that have Shaming, stds yeah. exactly so mm. bitch we can get anything anytime yeah. just from anybody so, from yeah. anybody use protection and your man you might be with forever he might not be with just you forever so use protection yeah <laughs> not maybe not if you're married but like murder your husband if he <laughs> Okay. To wrap things up, uh, donate your body to science so you don't get your body snatched because... It all ends in a funeral. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks, Vicky. And why do you need your body after you die? Don't. Don't. Not after the funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Funeral Stories is produced by Seth and Molino, and music is by John Pope. Check out our website and blog by going to www.funeralstories.com. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Funeral Stories and on Instagram at Funeral underscore Stories. 
donate to our cause on Patreon to unlock subscriber rewards. And please don't forget to send your funeral stories to funeralstoriespodcast at gmail.com or hello at funeralstories.com. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and listen on your preferred podcasting service. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.